European Hearts Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 38, Issue 17, Focus Issue on Ablation in Supraventricular Arrhythmias, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia. Supraventricular and Ventricular Tachycardias, Risk Factors, Drugs, and Ablation. Cardiac arrhythmias not only impair quality of life of patients, but also are associated with severe complications such as syncope, stroke, and sudden cardiac death. The most common are supraventricular arrhythmias, in particular atrial fibrillation, the prevalence of which will continue to increase as Western societies further age. While anticoagulation, in particular with non-vitamin K oral anticoagulants, is effective and increasingly used in preventing systemic embolism, transient ischemic attacks and stroke in such patients, it has no effect on the arrhythmia itself. However, atrial fibrillation can be quite symptomatic, particularly if associated with a fast heart rate. Catheter-based ablation has marked a breakthrough in the management of symptomatic atrial fibrillation. Important conditions associated with or causing atrial fibrillation are hypertension, heart failure, hyperthyroidism, and valvular heart disease. Thus, the review article entitled Atrial Fibrillation in Patients Undergoing Transcatheter Aortic Valve Implantation, Epidemiology, Timing, Predictors, and Outcome by Giuseppe Tarantini and colleagues from the Università degli Studi di Padova in Italy is timely. The authors remind us that atrial fibrillation is a common arrhythmia in patients with aortic stenosis and is another condition that is increasingly prevalent in aging Western societies. When these patients are treated medically or by surgical aortic valve replacement, atrial fibrillation is associated with adverse events including stroke, systemic embolism, and death. Growing evidence suggests a significant impact of atrial fibrillation on outcomes also in patients with aortic valve stenosis undergoing transcatheter aortic valve implantation. Conversely, limited evidence is available regarding the optimal management of this condition. This review therefore summarizes the prevalence, pathophysiology, prognosis, and treatment of atrial fibrillation in patients undergoing transcatheter aortic valve implantation. Another under-recognized and modifiable risk factor for atrial fibrillation is obesity, but paradoxically, outcomes appear to be more favorable in obese than lean subjects. Although body mass index and other clinical measures are useful markers of overall adiposity, epicardial fat is a distinct adipose tissue that can be assessed using non-invasive imaging techniques and appears to be consistently associated with the presence, severity, and recurrence of atrial fibrillation. In a further review, Epicardial Fat and Atrial Fibrillation, Current Evidence, Potential Mechanisms, Clinical Implications, and Future Directions, by Joseph Selvaniagam and colleagues from Flinders University in Adelaide, South Australia. Evidence from basic science and translational studies suggests that arrhythmogenic mechanisms may involve adipocyte infiltration, pro-fibrotic and pro-inflammatory paracrine effects, oxidative stress, and other pathways. 
Despite these advances, however, significant uncertainty exists, and many questions remain unanswered. In this review, the authors present the current understanding of epicardial fat, including its classification and quantification, existing evidence implicating its role in atrial fibrillation, potential mechanisms, implications for clinicians, and future directions for research. Besides randomized controlled trials, registries reflecting real-world practice are of great importance. The ESC-EHRA Atrial Fibrillation Ablation Long-Term Registry is a prospective multinational study that aims at describing the real-life characteristics, indications, diagnostic and therapeutic routines, and outcomes of catheter ablation for atrial fibrillation. In a first fast-track clinical research manuscript entitled Contemporary Management of Patients Undergoing Atrial Fibrillation Ablation in Hospital and One-Year Follow-Up Findings from the ESC-EHRA Atrial Fibrillation Ablation Long-Term Registry, Elena Arbello and colleagues from the Hospital Clinique Universitari de Barcelona in Las Palmas de Gran Canaria, Spain, present the results of the in-hospital phase and one-year follow-up. A total of 104 centres in 27 European countries participated and were asked to enrol 20 to 50 consecutive patients scheduled for first and redo ablation of atrial fibrillation. Overall, 3,630 patients were included, of which 3,593 underwent ablation of atrial fibrillation. Pulmonary vein isolation was attempted in 98.8% of patients, but achieved in only 76.8%. In-hospital complications occurred in 7.8% and one patient died due to an atrioesophageal fistula. One-year follow-up was performed in 88.6% at a median of 12.4 months. At 12 months, the overall success rate was 73.6%, but 46% of the patients were still on antiarrhythmic drugs. Late complications included 14 additional deaths and 333 other complications. The authors conclude that the ESC-EHRA Long-Term Atrial Fibrillation Ablation Registry acquired detailed information on the current clinical practice of atrial fibrillation ablation in a real-world setting. The success rate overall was good, but a considerable number of patients continued to use antiarrhythmic drugs, which makes an assessment of the true success rate of ablation difficult. More randomized controlled trials are required in this area. In symptomatic patients with atrial fibrillation, catheter ablation is currently considered with a Class A Level 1 recommendation in the most recent ESC guidelines. The results of this intervention in supraventricular tachycardias at large in a real-world setting are reported in a second clinical research manuscript entitled Long-Term Symptom Improvement and Patient Satisfaction Following Catheter Ablation of Supraventricular Tachycardia. Insights from the German Ablation Registry. Torsten Levalter and colleagues from the Hospital Munich Talkirchen in Germany 
prospectively analyzed outcomes of supraventricular tachyarrhythmia ablations performed in 12,566 patients enrolled in the prospective German ablation quality registry and followed for at least one year. Of those, 37.2% underwent ablation of atrial fibrillation, 29.9% for atrial flutter, 23.2% for atrioventricular nodal reentrant tachycardia, 6.3% for atrioventricular reentrant tachycardia, and 3.4% for focal atrial tachycardia. The periprocedural success rate was 96.3%, ranging from 84.3% focal atrial tachycardia to 98.9% in atrioventricular nodal re-entrance tachycardia. Kaplan-Meier mortality estimate at one year was 1.4% overall and as high as 2.6% in atrial flutter and 2.8% in the focal atrial tachycardia group. Recurrence of ablated or another symptomatic supraventricular tachyarrhythmia was observed in 33%, ranging from 17% in atrioventricular nodal re-entrant tachycardia to 46% in atrial fibrillation. Repeat ablation was performed in 14% of patients. After one year, 74% of survivors perceived ablation therapy as successful, 15.7% as partly successful, and 9.6% as unsuccessful. Even in those patients with arrhythmia recurrence, 76% perceived ablation as successful or partly successful, and 90% would still undergo repeat ablation in the same institution. The authors conclude that ablation therapy for supraventricular tachyarrhythmia is a safe procedure providing symptomatic improvement and patient satisfaction in three quarters of patients after one year. Even in those with arrhythmia recurrence, a high satisfaction level and adherence to the ablation institution could be documented. Strikingly, high mortality and stroke rates in follow-up were observed in atrial flutter patients who apparently need consistent long-term anticoagulation and more medical attention. These real-world findings are further discussed in an editorial by Douglas P. Zipes from the Indiana University School of Medicine in Indianapolis, USA. In contrast to atrial tachycardias, those arising from the ventricle are potentially life-threatening and commonly managed with implantable cardioverter defibrillators, or ICDs, as outlined in the most recent ESE guidelines. However, antiarrhythmic drugs still have a place even in patients who received an ICD to reduce the arrhythmia burden. Furthermore, intravenous procainamide and amiodarone are drugs of choice for well-tolerated ventricular tachycardia. However, the choice between them, even according to current guidelines, is unclear. In a clinical research article entitled Randomized Comparison of Intravenous Procainamide versus Intravenous Amiodarone for the Acute Treatment of Tolerated Wide QRS Tachycardia, the Procamio study, Jesus M. A. Almendral and colleagues on behalf of the Procamio study investigators report the findings of a multi-center randomized open-labeled study to determine the safety and efficacy of intravenous procainamide 10 mg per kilogram per 20 minutes and amiodarone 5 mg per kilogram per 20 minutes. 
for the acute treatment of tolerated wide QRS complex, probably ventricular, tachycardia. The primary endpoint was the incidence of major predefined cardiac adverse events within 40 minutes after initiation of the infusion. Out of 74 patients included, 62 could be analysed. The primary endpoint occurred in 9% receiving procainamide and 41% in those on amiodarone. Tachycardia terminated within 40 minutes in 67% with procainamide and 38% with amiodarone. In the following 24 hours, adverse events occurred in 18% on procainamide and 31% on amiodarone. Among 49 patients with structural heart disease, the primary endpoint was less common in procainamide patients. Thus, in this study, which for the first time compared in a randomized design intravenous procainamide and amiodarone for the treatment of acute episodes of sustained monomorphic well-tolerated ventricular tachycardia, procainamide was associated with less major cardiac adverse events and a higher proportion of tachycardia termination within 40 minutes. These clinically important findings are put into perspective in a thoughtful editorial by Malcolm Finlay from Bart's Health NHS Trust in London, UK. This issue concludes with a clinical research article entitled Duration of Device Detected Subclinical Atrial Fibrillation and Occurrence of Stroke in ASSERT by Isabel C. van Gelder and colleagues from the University Medical Center Groningen in the Netherlands. Subclinical atrial fibrillation is common in pacemaker patients without prior atrial fibrillation and is associated with increased risk of ischemic stroke or systemic embolism. Episodes of subclinical atrial fibrillation vary in duration and little is known about the incidence of different durations of subclinical atrial fibrillation or their prognosis. ASSERT followed 2,580 patients receiving a pacemaker, or ICD, up to 2.5 years. Patients in whom the longest subclinical atrial fibrillation was less than or equal to 6 minutes were excluded from the analysis. Among the remaining 2,455 patients, the longest single episode of subclinical atrial fibrillation lasted over 6 minutes to 6 hours in 18.8%, over 6 hours to 24 hours in 6.9%, and over 24 hours in 10.7%. Subclinical atrial fibrillation duration over 24 hours was associated with a significantly increased risk of stroke or systemic embolism with an adjusted hazard ratio of 3.24. The risk of ischemic stroke or systemic embolism in patients with subclinical atrial fibrillation between 6 minutes and 24 hours was not significantly different from patients without subclinical atrial fibrillation. Thus, the authors conclude that subclinical atrial fibrillation of more than 24 hours is associated with an increased risk of ischemic stroke or systemic embolism. This clinically important finding is further discussed in an editorial by Kazam Rahimi from the University of Oxford in the UK. The editors hope that this issue of the European Hearts Journal will find the interest of its readers.